Uh, good morning. I believe I believe this is episode five of the Chief End podcast. Good morning to you. Uh, it is very early. Feels very early to me. Uh, been up since four o'clock. If I was a pastorpreneur, of course, I would be yawning and saying, "Oh, it's so early." Just say yawning because <sighs> it's making me need to yawn. But I would be complaining about how early it was, and in reality, it would be like 12.30, and I just would have gotten done with my fancy brunch at the exclusive hipster joint. Uh, Talking about my new book deal. But we're not going to do that this morning. We're actually going to critique a former pastor-preneur gem of a book uh, that I'm convinced has contributed to shipwrecking the faith of probably thousands of Christians throughout the Western American evangelical scene over the last 20 years. Uh, And of course, the book I'm talking about is The Prayer of Yabez. And you say, no, 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 it's The Prayer of Jabez. My question is, if it's Javier Bardem or Javier whoever, why is it not The Prayer of Habez? And I think it's probably because that name sounds too Muslim-y and... American evangelicals <laughs> are a bigoted, uh, racist lot, perhaps. I don't know. Um, the prayer of Habez probably wouldn't sell to white evangelicals, so it needs to be the prayer of Jabez. Joan Baez, the prayer of Jabez. Anyway, yeah, the prayer of Jabez is the target of our discussion today, and as I said, I think it's contributed to... If not, it might be a little overstatement to say that it's contributed to the shipwreck of thousands of Christians um, over the last 20 years. It's definitely contributed to the discontentment of thousands of Christians over the last 20 years. And you say, well, what's your point? And my point is that it's early and I'm tired and I wish that I was a pastorpreneur so that I could be eating brunch right now. I think that's my point. <laughs> I jest, of course. You know, I, I look at my friends who have remained in ministry. I look at uh, roommates who are pastors at some fairly prominent churches around the country. I look at relatives who are pastors at fairly prominent churches around the country. And the farther I get removed from that whole setting, the more thankful my heart becomes that I'm not involved in that industry. Uh, So yeah, when I say that I wish I was a pastorpreneur, that's completely in jest and and mockery. Uh, Because that industry is just so soul-sapping. I mean, I I just don't understand how you can can reconcile all of the self-promotion needed to survive in that industry with the calls in scripture to lead a quiet life, uh, free of selfish ambition. Um, It just seems so in conflict with one another that you must, those people, those guys must go, they have to go through mental gymnastics and soul contortions on a regular basis until their conscience is seared to the point that they just no longer feel any conflict whatsoever. Um, So yeah, 
Uh, but I think th- I think the prayer of Jabez has contributed to this. And pardon me while I sip on my piping hot Americano for a second, because it is kind of chilly here in the deep south. Uh, not deep south. I don't really consider Florida the deep south. I always thought Florida was like the west coast of the east coast, the better west coast, perhaps. Um, and it sort of is like there's pockets on the west coast of Florida that feel kind of west coast America. Um but then you get into central Florida and it really is deep south, like Confederate flags and like four-wheeling hillbillies hunting gators. I mean, it's, it's definitely not, uh, it's definitely not California. Um, the majority of the state is not. Um, but I, I think it is less deep south than, say, obviously like Mississippi or Alabama or even Atlanta. Um, although Atlanta, when it was up there, it was, when we was up there... <laughs> Atlanta was, it was pretty, I was surprised. I mean, it's like the banking capital of the South. A ton of development, ton of growth, huge, a lot of city, a lot of urban. Um, So it was less deep South than I thought. It was more maybe like charming South, like fake Southern hospitality. Uh, Anywho, anywho, we're we're talking about the prayer of Yabez. and when I look around at the scourge of young pastorpreneurs in the American church today, you know, these guys are 25 to 35, maybe pushing 40, maybe 45. I, I think a lot of them, I think a lot of their activity can be traced back to the prayer of Jabez. Um, and, and here, I'll just cut to the chase. My beef with the prayer of Jabez is, um, it's probably not even my beef. I think it's the scripture's beef with the prayer of Jabez. Um, so this guy comes along and he, you know, wants to expand his borders and that's his prayer. Well, no one has stopped to, to think and say, well, that sort of sounds counter to contentment. I mean, contentment is, uh, as Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. So instantly firing up, uh, hey, expand my borders, I think shows right out of the gate um, perhaps a proclivity or a dispensation of the heart to, to towards discontentment. Like I'm not content with what's, where my borders are or what is inside my borders, so God, expand them. And, you know, it's easy to justify a way, well, well you know, God can do more He's capable of doing more than we can ask or imagine. Or, you know, he's poured out his abundant riches in Christ on us. But I just don't see how that prayer of of kind of knee-jerk going, just defaulting going to expand my borders. When I, when I look at classic hymns that proclaim a lot of truth and a lot of soul stability, you know, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say... It is well, it is well with my soul. Um, I think of Psalm 16 that says, You alone, O Lord, are my portion and my cup. And then he goes on to say that the boundaries have fallen in pleasant places for me. Um, He says that the Lord secures his lot. So I, I think if we take the prayer of Jabez and we can apply it to expanding the borders of our communing with God 
and expanding the borders of our soul satisfaction in God and Him alone, if we can take that prayer and apply it to expanding our heart's contentment in echoing the psalmist in Psalm 16 that says, The Lord, you alone, O Lord, are my portion. You alone, O Lord, are my cup. I think if we can take the prayer of Jabez and apply it to that uh, soul satisfaction in God, yeah, then it makes a lot of sense. Um, But as so often is the case with pastorpreneurs eager and greedy for gain and money, uh, they take something that should be applied in a spiritual soul sense, and they hackney, is I think that's a good word, uh, hackneyed, um, they just kind of mutilate it and butcher it and splice together the pieces to make it become some sort of physical pursuit so that it caters to the lowest common denominator of depraved, unsaved man's basis desires. Which, I mean, didn't Christ, Christ himself said, you know, even the Gentiles seek after these things. And I think that's what a lot of, I think that's the crux, the engine of pastorpreneurship is taking Bible, catering to the lowest common denominator of Gentiles' desires. That's what a lot of American modern evangelicalism has become. And even people that are supposedly quote-unquote solid do this. Guys like Matt Chandler do this and John Piper uh, can do this. Um, You know, John MacArthur, I think, has a tendency to do this. And they do it in, in subtle, different ways. But as soon as a promise uh, or some sort of uh, blessing is pulled out of, it's extracted from the realm of soul satisfaction and assurance of eternity and, and changed affection so that we're not loving the world, but that we're loving eternity. We're, we're seeking to have eyes of faith that see beyond the horizon of this life and and see the celestial city, as as soon as that happens, um, you know you can pretty much rest assured that that when that switch is made, that bad things are going to follow from that. There's not going to be a lot of uh, sanctifying work that happens uh, when pastorpreneurs are allowed to sort of bait and switch these eternal soul principles and disguise them as temporal material promises for this life. And you say, wow, you are just so ethereal. And uh, no, I, I don't, really don't think I am. I mean, when you, look at, when you look at the baseline of some of the statements that Paul makes, that Christ makes, it's hard to, to conclude anything other than the fact that what God is after is eternity. What he is after is soul satisfaction in our hearts that treasure God above all things and seek to commune with him in this life and eventually eternally in heaven. That's what he's after. He's after communion with his people in a spiritual sense now and in a mysterious, real, physical, face-to-face sense in, in eternity. But that doesn't sell books. So, so we're left with the prayer of Jabez that, you know, has, has 
I think, destroyed the contentment of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians throughout America and potentially around the world as they feel like they have God's... Excuse me, Americano hiccups early in the morning. As they feel like they have God's eternal... Uh, they have they, they, what those books do is it tricks people into thinking that they have God's stamp of approval on pursuing their worldly passions. That's what it boils down to. That's what these books do. That's what the prayer of Jabez has done. And so instead of saying, instead of echoing the words of Christ, that yeah, even the Gentiles seek after these things, um, we say, well, we 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 twist it. And we put a spiritual stamp of approval on. Well, if I want a bigger house. I want a nicer car. I want a more secure job. I want the promotion. I want the raise. I want the comfy vacation. Um, I want to rise into the elite of whatever my profession is. Whether that's in the spiritual Christian profession or whether that's in some secular profession. Uh, yeah, I want to do that. And God, God has given me this stamp of approval now to go pursue that. And I think it just is so destructive towards Christian living because Christian living should be, and this is, this is the, the takeaway that I'm going to challenge you all with, y'all, since I'm in Florida, y'all, I'm going to challenge everyone with, is instead of saying, Lord, expand my borders, expand my borders, give me more, 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 unless we're saying, Lord, give me more of you, Give me more soul satisfaction in you. If we're doing that, that's fine. But when we look at Psalm 16, it says the, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And he, he contrasts that, as I said earlier, with God being his portion. So I think the Christian life really should be submitting to where the boundary lines have fallen and then seeking to be exceptionally faithful inside of those boundary lines. And I know that that is a foreign message in the church today, but I believe it's a biblical message, and I believe it's a message that the reformers discovered. You know, Luther didn't tell the seamstress to throw away her needle and double bird her boss and go become a world changer. No, he, he, he implored the seamstress to find the joy of the Lord in seamstressing, if that's a word. I love making up verbs. <laughs> in seamstressing. Find the joy of the Lord in being a seamstress. Uh, find the joy of the Lord in staying inside the boundaries that have fallen to you. And then leave any boundary expansion up to God's providential leading, his sovereign hand. And I think that, you know, I've said before, the, the purpose of this podcast is to promote the idea that man's chief end is humility. And I think the prayer of Jabez is yet again another demonstrator of how proud the church is in its approach to spiritual things, in its approach to uh, acquiescing to God's providence, which we don't do. We don't want to say, wow, the boundaries have fallen to me in the current state. And I'm just hypothetically speaking, 
I mean, let's say that there's some Christian out there that their boundary is an $8.50 per hour janitorial job or $10 an hour fast food job or an $11 an hour retail job. No, no pastors, no one is promoting to them. Those are the boundaries that have fallen for your lot right now. Humble yourself under those boundaries. Seek to be exceptionally faithful and joyful in those boundaries and trust that the Lord will expand or contract those boundaries as he sees best fit for your sanctification and for your eternal good. That's not a message that we hear. It's not a message, I'll even say that it's not a message that people want to hear, which I think is why we don't hear it. Because in the end times, the latter times, men will seek out teachers who tickle their ears, the scripture tells us. And so the ear ticklers go, hey, there's actually money to be made in tickling ears. So let's tickle them. Let's tell them that we want to hear. Hey, are you being held down by the man and you want to cast off your $11 an hour retail job? Well, stick it to the retail man and go start your own thing and, you know, become a Tony Robbins and buy whatever you want. And, uh, you know, I, I have, as an entrepreneur, I struggle with this as well. Um, because those are sentiments that my heart feels of well. I mean, a lot of that's why I started, have started my own business is I saw the business model of, well, wait a second, I'm getting paid X dollars an hour to perform work that the owners of the business are then, you know, marking up tenfold to their clients. Well, okay, well, that's, I don't, I don't like that business model, so I'll go start my own business. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a it's a delicate balance between, um, you know, I, and this is something that that I don't know where all these things intersect because I'm a big free market person, I'm a big laissez faire economics person, um, but I'm also big on God's sovereignty and and lots in life. Um, so maybe maybe the takeaway for me is yeah, go start your business, but be content with wherever the lot the the boundary lines fall in that business. So if you have three clients or 10 clients or 30 clients, be content with the current boundary lines and seek to be as faithful and as good as you can be inside of those boundary lines. Be as diligent as you can inside of those boundary lines, trusting that the Lord will expand or contract or keep them neutral as he sees best fit. So I think that's the message. And and my problem with the prayer of Jabez and the corresponding mentality is that it doesn't it doesn't promote the idea of remaining contented in the boundary lines that you find yourself in. It promotes the idea of becoming discontented with those boundary lines and seeking to blow out the borders so that you can have more and find contentment. Um, so yeah, I, I read the prayer of Jabez. Where are we at on this thing? This is, dude, we're only 19 minutes in. I feel like I'm out of out of material. This podcast isn't going to last long if I can only go 19 minutes and run out of steam. Let me take another sip on this caffeine-fueled beverage. Caffeine-fueled? That doesn't seem like the right that doesn't seem like the right wording. Caffeine indoctrinated. <laughs> caffeine imbued, caffeine steeped, caffeine. I can't find the right word. There's something floating in my head that sounds like it needs to be um, said. Uh, to properly describe that tasty, yummy beverage. I, I didn't drink coffee for a month. I was drinking Earl Grey tea and some energy teas and some other things. 
and I, because I got tired of the taste of coffee and then I had an Americano about a week and a half ago and I was like, oh my gosh, those Americanos are so good. Lord, increase my boundaries so that I could get more of them whenever I want. <laughs> ah, that's a good Americano. You know, it's cold when your Americano doesn't stay hot and we normally don't have to deal with that in Florida, but we do have a cold front. We do have a cold front nowadays. Uh, it's like 36 yesterday morning, and then it's supposed to be 80 tomorrow, so it's it's weird. Um, hold on, I'm getting Skyped. We're going to just do this. Are you here? Oh, this is an important thing, so I'm just going to say hi. Let him know that I am here, that I haven't abandoned. Um, so the prayer of Jabez. Oh, I was. so I think what I'll share is when I came across the prayer of Jabez, which is probably pretty self-explanatory. It was when it came out, like the late 90s. And I was working at the uh, mega church, non-denominational mega church, as the high school youth pastor when this book hit the shelves. And it was an instant sensation. Um, and it became a New York Times bestseller. And now looking back, that should be red flag numero uno that this probably isn't very in line with the Bible. Um, because if it's appealing to the masses when the road to destruction is broad and many there are who find it, um, that should probably tell us something <laughs> that this might not be in line with the scriptures. <laughs> That's the thing that cracks me up with the evangelical church. We're constantly looking for uh, mass and, and uh, quantity in numbers. And we think that quantity in numbers is, that's what we want. But we forget that the, the road that leads to destruction is broad. And there are many therein who find it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's like, wow, I'm a Christian. I'm a New York Times bestselling author. Well, in, short of some miraculous move of God's spirit, reviving the souls of men to trust in him and make him their portion, you're probably selling something that tickles their ears, that appeals to their depraved, degenerate affections. Just my two cents. Uh, which is likely why this podcast has about four listeners. <laughs> but that's my promise. That's my promise to you, is I will do my best not to tickle your ears. Unless, of course, tickling your ears will get me more Americanos than maybe I will tickle away. You know, I'm going to buy some feathers in bulk and just start tickling so I can get Americanos. Ventis, Trentas, I want them! Um, another sip before it gets too cool. There's nothing worse than a lukewarm Americano. No wonder Christ spits lukewarm people out of his mouth. Lukewarm coffee is disgusting. Couldn't imagine lukewarm people saying, oh yeah, I love you, but you know, give me more prayer of Jabez promises. All right, so I was working at the mega church as, a, as an impressionable yet arrogant uh, 19-year-old stalwart of the faith. <laughs> who had just two and a half years previously made a, made a groundbreaking, world-changing vow to be a world changer and to change the generation for Jesus. Uh, and this book came out, and one of the executive pastors gave it to me and said, hey, you should read through this and begin to pray this for the youth group. Pray this for the youth group. And this is when the church was undertaking like a $8 million expansion and they had just signed signed away pretty much everything in order to secure the bonds um, to 
buy several new acres and a couple buildings adjacent and remodel and spruce them up with a bunch of audiovisual uh, equipment. And so I got this book and I began reading through it. And it was like, wow, I really do need to pray this. So I started praying, Lord, expand the borders of the youth group. Lord, turn it from 250 to 500. You know, revive the city. Uh, you know, make the high school kids all around the city come to this church to listen to me. <laughs> I mean, that's really what's going on. Like, if you if you haven't seen the underbelly of the church and you haven't been involved in some leadership capacity in the church in America, that's what's going on. It's all done under the guise and the pretend pretext of, oh, Lord, save these people's souls and, you know, let the gospel go forth. But what's really being said, like if you actually translated it into real heart intent, it would be bring 2,000 kids to my youth group so they can hear me preach so I can become famous. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. And, and if you don't believe me, go to the youth pastor meetings or the pastor meetings where they sit around and they bitch and moan. Oh, sorry, this is a Christian podcast. I can't, I can't say B&M. Um, where they, they where they complain about the big mega church that's seeing a lot of fruit. Oh well, you know, they're taking all the people. Oh, woe is us. This really stinks. I only have twenty kids in my youth group. I remember as a nineteen year old kid trying to organize a youth pastor prayer breakfast once a month. And the one the first time we came together as a group, there were only four other youth pastors in the city that joined. And they were from four of the other biggest churches in the area. And I was like, man, I couldn't get anybody else to show up. And this one guy who was at the smallest of the big churches, I think they maybe had like 800 people attending on a weekend compared to the 12,000 that were at the church I was at. And he goes, honestly, he goes, I didn't even want really want to come to this thing because I feel like you guys dominate the scene. And I feel like you might even try to steal our kids with your new buildings and your new facilities and your, you know, top of the line skate park, which was 50% done at the time. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, even as a 19 year old, I felt kind of sad. I was like, huh, this really is sort of like, and I didn't realize it then because I wasn't aware of business, but now looking back, you know, it was like, they probably felt like it was, you know, they were RC Cola and I was Coke trying to come in and, you know, steal away their customers under the guise of, hey, let's partner up on something. So if you haven't, if you, if you think that I'm full of crap and you think that I'm just overly cynical, I'll just tell you point blank, you haven't seen the underbelly of the church. You haven't been inside the inner workings of American evangelicalism. So when you hear people praying, Lord, send thousands to come hear the gospel, what they're actually meaning in their heart to some degree, and a lot of times with younger people, even older guys, it's to a large degree, come let them hear me so my platform can be increased, my boundaries can expand, and I can have as many Americanos as I want. <laughs> and not only can I have as many Americanos as I want, but so that I can have those Americanos in cool places, like a selfie in front of the Apple Store in Manhattan, and a cafe in Milan at some pastor's conference, and sitting next to Louis Giglio at the Atlanta Stadium where there's 150,000 people waiting to hear every word that springs forth from my mouth. I mean, 
that's what's going on. Point blank, that's what's going on in these guys' hearts. And, uh, you know, praise the Lord that he's gracious to still use broken, greedy, uh, selfish vessels vessels, uh, to distribute his word. And, you know, his word does not return void. And And I say that trying to remain positive, but I also cringe saying that because that's the excuse that they use. Well, God's word doesn't return void. So who cares if I'm butchering it? Um, it's still not going to return void. Uh, show me the pastorpreneur who doesn't live an excessive lifestyle and who doesn't gloat and glory in their borders expanding. And maybe I'll listen to them. But sadly, that doesn't exist because the whole game is set up to expand borders. Um, so anyway, I read this as a 19-year-old and fervently began praying this prayer. Um, at the same time, I was also coming in contact with Spurgeon sermons. And so I was becoming, I, I wouldn't say more reformed, because I didn't even really know what reformed was at the time. But I was becoming, probably the best way to describe it is I was becoming more confident in God's ability to save based on the merits of Christ... So I was becoming more confident in Christ's merits than I was in my own emotions or decisions. So while I was reading and praying fervently the prayer of Jabez to try to keep pace with the $8 million expansion, I was also um, doing, becoming quite aware that it was God's merits that were worthy of saving me, Christ's merits which were worthy of saving me, not my own decisions and not my own efforts and not my own emotions. So as that was working on, working through my soul, that is when um, it's, I, it, started to, it started to play out in terms of the youth group as well. So instead of giving these hyped up calls for kids to stop going to R-rated movies and stop seeing secular, uh, listening to secular music and stop, you know, whatever worldly pursuits they were doing and to commit to being a world changer like I had done, that started to lose its appeal to me. And I started thinking this is not the proper call to give these kids. So I, I, the, the, the frequency of the altar calls started to dis- decrease significantly. Um, whereas I used to do one every time we met to do anything, whether it was a 20 person, you know, uh, Bible study or, you know, a 250 person weekly meeting or a 2000 person, you know, skateboard rally, the, the altar calls became less and less frequent and in their place became exhortations to look to Christ, to trust Christ, um, to, to glory in Christ, to see that he is worthy of your affections. And, and I'm sure that this played into my eventual uh, ousting from the church because the executive pastors began appearing more and more in the back of the service during um, these services and listening. And I always thought, at the time, I thought, wow, they must really think that I'm a badass preacher. Pardon my language again. They must really think that I'm the next-gen guy. Like, they're going to they're gonna task me with a church plant or something. Like, that. that's the stuff that was going through my head. Even as the Lord was working out of me confidence in my own emotions um, on a salvation front, I was still stoking my own ego on, wow, these older guys are listening to me, and they must think that I'm the shiznit. 
another sip of the Americano and a brief uh, pause in bumping, moving my mouth because that Americano is just so stinking tasty. Mm. That is good. Um, so as those two things conflicted, I began giving fewer and fewer altar calls and began to give more and more just exhortations to trust Christ. And if you had questions regarding Christ, to come talk to me or one of the, you know, adult leaders or college leaders who were there um, to help. And it was a very interesting time. And, and, and around that time, you know, they, the, the pastorpreneurs, they clearly, it's very nepotistic. So if you haven't been inside of evangelicalism, um, you probably are unaware. Uh, if I said it was nepotistic, meaning they give preference to family members, you would probably say, oh, you're so jaded. Well, it's just the way it is. I mean, they give preference to family members. They give preference to sons and sons of executive pastors and things. So the son of the executive pastor had just finished up two years at Bible college. And it was looking back, it was exceptionally clear that that was their plan. They were, they had, they had run their course on my local athletic fame. Um, you know, the, the whole storyline of, of successful division one level athlete foregoes playing athletics in order to work at this church. Ergo, the leader of the church must be really awesome and the ministry must rock the house. So that ran its course over, over the period of about five years. And I think as that ran its course and then people realized, eh, who cares about the former high school athlete star? Uh, you know, it, it became clear that it was then, now we're going to, now we're going to, you know, bring the, the executive pastor's son in to take over the youth group. And I have really no problem with that. I mean, I, you know, what I want to be a 45 year old youth pastor trying to wear vans and spike my hair. Like it just sounds, I, I've seen that and it just seems kind of insincere. Um, but as with most things mega church, they don't really know how to go through transitions well. So then they just, you know, say, hey, what's that over there? And then they whack you in the back of the knees and then, you know, have Guido pull you off and dump you in a ditch. Um, but it was interesting. So uh, there was a transition period there where the, the kid that had just finished Bible college, um, another stalwart of the faith. <laughs> where he would fill in. So he was filling in once, once a month uh, to preach and in the youth group. And so he would do that. And his altar calls got longer and longer and longer. And I remember the last one he did before I got guidoed in the knees. Um, his altar call went for 15 minutes. And you know, at first, like the first three or four minutes, nobody raised their hand. Nobody came forward. But then he just kept drilling down on more and more sort of like psychic messages. Like, you know, oh, I believe there's someone here who is going to take a trip to the Caribbean. And it's too specific. So there's nobody there. So then you just make it broad. 
I believe there's someone here who's traveled in an automobile the last 10 years. And then everybody's like, oh crap, he's talking about me. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it went. He just got more and more generalized in the appeal and the reason to raise your hand and come forward. And after 15 minutes, there was like half the crowd came forward. And all these kids have been saved like 19 times already. <laughs> and I remember sitting in the back with the dude, one of the executives, and he was like, wow, this guy really has the anointing. And I was like, what, the snake oil anointing? The used car salesman anointing? The how do we get this clown to shut up so we can go home anointing? Hey, I would have gone forward just to get him to stop. If he would have gone another 60 seconds, I would have gone forward and gotten saved because I just needed him to shut the hell up. Again, apologies for non-Christian podcasting language. Um, but it was that it was that emotionalism um, which they praised, you know, the executive pastor praised it. Wow. He really has the anointing. He's really persistent. Um, or he's just a jackass, um, who's desperate for visible validation on his supposed calling. That's an option too. And a very legitimate one at that. Um, so anyway, I got, I got the, the, you know, I got Guido to the knees, dumped in the ditch. Uh, and you know, as I kept tabs on, on that ministry over the next couple of years, that became the hallmark. That became the hallmark of what they were doing. It was expand the borders and the visible means to expand the borders was, was borderline histrionics. Is that the right word? Histrionics, hysterical. I think that is histrionics. I, I feel like that might be like a hybrid word between like some sort of weird study of history and being hysterical. I think it's the right word, histrionics. Um, lots of theater, uh, increased lighting effects, increased emotional guitar riffs, increased, um, you know, uh, just beating over the head regarding certain sins, which are common to men. Um, and it worked. I mean, it, it fired up emotions and it, and it pulled kids away from other youth groups in town. And that thing blew up to about 400 students. So it went from about 250 to 400 in the next few years, largely based on the $8 million investment, the skate park, the gimmicks, the game rooms. Um, and so the prayer of Jabez was enacted. And at the time, you could look at that and say, and there, there were, there were articles written on them. There were, you know, things of, wow, look at what God's doing here. And the dirty secret that nobody really talks about, you know, 20 years after the fact is, where are those youth group kids now? And I do my best to try to, you know, I'm curious. So every now and then, a couple times a year, I'll, I'll, you know, hey, I wonder what that kid's doing. I remember a name from a, you know, from the youth group or from a winter retreat or something. And so I, you know, I Google a name or two or three or 10 and, you know, try to find them. A lot of them I can't find. Um, you know, the handful that I have found there's, there's several that are, that are disasters. You know, they're just, they're complete. They're, they're nowhere near looking like, like Christians. They're nowhere near, um, appearing to be saved. And I think that that breaks my heart. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, that's unique to pastorpreneur type ministries because obviously God dealt directly with the children of Israel and they kicked him to the curb after walking to the Red Sea. <laughs> So it's, you know, I don't mean to make the false equivalency that, oh, if you, 
you know, tr- got saved under a pastor or a ministry, then, you know, you're damned to hell because God's people dealt directly with God himself and they kicked God to the curb. Um, so, you know, it's probably a case for the, you know, the depravity of man. Um, but, but I think, I think maybe the similarity is when you look at why they kick God to the curb, it's because they failed to make him their portion. So they got through the sea and what did they say? They said, Oh, I, I want the, I want the meat. I want the steaks of Egypt. And, and again, it just goes back to what I started with that if you're expanding your borders for stakes, you're not understanding God. You're not understanding the Bible. You're not understanding your soul. And so the similarity between pastor-preneur ministries and the children of Israel kicking God to the curb, so to speak, is that they centered on the materialistic and the materialistic is the world and the world is hollow and fleeting and unsatisfactory the puritans talked about how satan uh, presents the bait but hides the hook so the world looks like oh that bait looks so tasty but then you chomp down on it and it's a hook and that hook is painful and it jacks you and it hooks you and it and it imprisons you so I think that's the similarity, is it's not so much a blast of, oh, well, you know, God's people dealt directly with him, and they were, they abandoned him, and then pastorpreneurs preach this message, and, and people abandon God. The, the, the similarity is that they're, they're putting forth a materialistic object. That's the similarity. And so long as a materialistic object is put forth, it doesn't matter how much biblical, so-called biblical wrapping paper you put on it, at its core, it's still a materialistic object. And materialistic objects do not satisfy the soul. In fact, they will be proven to condemn the soul. They will be proven to reap judgment upon the soul because God is a jealous God And his first commandment that he doles out is, have no other gods before me. And when you begin to tinker with the materialistic path, you are creating idols and putting them before God and him alone, and they will not satisfy. So that's my beef with the prayer of Jabez. That's my beef with pastorpreneurship. Um, and, And that's that. That's the inclination of man's heart, obviously, when you look at the history of of the church, when you look at the history of Israel, when you look at the history of of God's people. We are tempted to do what the Gentiles do, what the world does, what depraved, sinful man does, which is exchange the image of God for a lie. Um, and, and that's what the prayer of Jabez does. That's, and I, I think maybe that's the takeaway. Maybe that's what the church in America needs to realize is that much of the system of evangelicalism is in the business of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And we don't realize it. The church doesn't realize it. We don't realize that the prayer of Jabez, we hear, oh, it's Christian. It's good. It's godly. It's Christian. It has scripture in it. 
But at its core, it's changing the image of God for a lie. And so much of evangelicalism is guilty of doing this, and it's duping people into hell. It's, quote-unquote, saving people into judgment because they're equating their saving with physical boundary expansion. God help us. What a disaster. What a mess. What a bunch of crappy shepherds. Wow. It's just so sad and depressing, and it begs the question again of why do I do this freaking podcast because I always end up in a very dark, depraved, cynical state. Yikes. More Americano. We'll save the day. So make sure you click that donate button and make sure you click that buy my latest book button um, so that I can start drinking Americanos in Milan, please. Milan. Uh, (laughs) I'll be content to drink my Americano in Florida while my hands work to be diligent in the boundaries that... uh, that the Lord has fallen them for me. And that primarily applies to my business, which uh, I enjoy and I seek to be diligent in. And also applies to this podcast of just communicating these thoughts for the tens of people who at some point or another might stumble upon this thing and be encouraged. So uh, don't, do not exchange the truth of God for a lie. Do not exchange God's eternal promises for contentment and to have him be your portion for it's Esau. It's it's Esau. He sold his birthright for a for a stake. That, that's what's going on here. That's what evangelicalism does, is it puts forth all of these Christian materials which tempt us and essentially tell us to sell our birthright for a stake. Holy crap! Like how come people can't see this? How come Christians can't see this? Take the wool off your eyes, you gullible suckers, and see that the so-called evangelical church structure is pitching you Esau. It's telling you, sell your eternal birthright for this stake, Joel Osteen. Holy smokes, this is just ridiculous. So... If you are a Christian, seek to find your contentment in the Lord and humble yourself. Again, the point of this podcast, and I'm at 46 minutes, so I'm going to wrap this thing up. The point of this podcast, the chief end of man is humility, to be humble. Humble yourself under your current boundary lines. Say, Lord, I believe that you are sovereign over where my life is, what my responsibilities are. Instead of kicking against the goads and trying to burst out of those boundary lines, rest, be content, and seek to be faithful inside those boundary lines. I'm going to finish my Americano, and we will pick this up again some other time in the near future when I feel compelled to rant and uh, rave about some other topic in evangelicalism, which catches my attention. Peace!